This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Damian Bolwa. Today on Fifth Admission, the U.S. is poised to adopt new rules for blood donation that ease historic restrictions on gay and bisexual men. That move, proposed by the FDA, is aimed not only at increasing the nation's blood supply, but also addressing what LGBTQ advocates have long said are unnecessary limitations based on fears and stigma attached to sex between men. Yet, amid these efforts at progress, there are criticisms that the new rules still discriminate, particularly in the way that they treat some potential blood donors, people who are taking what are known as PrEP medications that are highly effective at reducing the risk of acquiring HIV. Later on in the show, I'm going to ask State Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco about his concerns with the FDA proposal and about how his advocacy for LGBTQ equality has made him a target of the right wing. But first, Chronicle reporter Erin Alday is here. She's been following this issue for years. Fifth and Mission listeners know Erin for her coverage of the pandemic. But here's some news. She is now diving into a new beat, gender and sexuality. Erin, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Damien. Erin, can you tell us about the history of bans on gay and bisexual men donating blood? Sure. So the bans on, on blood donations date back to the mid-1980s, which is really the kind of darkest times of the HIV-AIDS epidemic. The epidemic was kind of spreading unchecked, and we ended up with several thousand people becoming infected with HIV and dying of AIDS um, in the 1980s because we didn't really have checks on the blood supply. Um, and in fact, my own grandfather became infected with HIV in, in the mid-1980s and in fact died of AIDS in the 80s. So I actually have a personal connection to that. It's something that I've been very aware of for a very long time. You know, every death from AIDS is a tragedy, but these were just, I think, specifically alarming because these were people who just totally unsuspecting and, you know, they come out of these life-saving procedures with an infection that ends up killing them. And I think that just really struck intense fear in the public and also in the people that were charged with, you know, making sure our blood supply is safe. And so they issued these really strict blanket bans where if you identified as gay or bisexual, if you were a man who had sex with men, you were just completely forbidden from donating blood at all. So how does that then evolve over the years, both in terms of policy and in terms of some of the, the pushback from people who say some of these rules have become unnecessary and are actually limiting the blood supply? Well, for a long time, those rules were untouched. So keep in mind, I think these were put in place in about 1985 and through about 2015. Um, it was just a complete ban. And even though there had been mounting pressure to really address this, um, a lot of LGBTQ groups saying these were discriminatory, they were stigmatizing, um, and in fact, they were setting back efforts to reduce HIV infections because it was so stigmatizing, it was problematic. But it really took that long, and that to me shows just the degree of fear that was put in place from those early deaths. But around 2015, and it was 
mostly, I think, due to that pushback, due to these advocacy groups kind of saying this is really not okay, that we really need to expand that eligibility. Um, But also just, you know, we always have a need for blood. We go through shortages routinely. And so there's always interest in expanding that donor supply as much as we can. And so that was where that came from in, in 2015. And then gay men were allowed to donate if they had been celibate for a year. If they hadn't had any sex at all for a full year, they could donate. That was still problematic. Um, And then it was further relaxed in 2020 during the COVID pandemic when blood shortages really became an acute problem and there was even more pressure to expand it. So what does this latest change do? So this latest change is in a lot of ways people refer to it as monumental. It basically says we're going to take your sexuality off the table. Who you have sex with is not the factor anymore. We're not even going to ask. What it does is it kind of based it on the individual risk. So every single person, regardless of their gender or orientation, is asked, you know, how many partners they've had um, in a previous three-month period and whether they've had anal sex, which is still considered kind of the highest risk activity for HIV transmission. But it applies across the board. So it takes the sexuality question off the table completely. And so that is, and, and everybody agrees, that's that's a huge, huge moment. That's a huge thing that they change that they're making. And this is a proposal now. So it's not in place yet. It probably will be in another couple of months. And again, we're talking about a couple of factors here, right? I mean, the need for more blood. I mean, there's drives to get more people to donate blood. We all get those. And the other is this continuing idea that when there's unnecessary rules in place, it harkens back decades to fear of gay men. Yeah, I think it's a couple issues there, which is, yes, it does harken back to and it kind of reinforces this discrimination and these stereotypes, this sense that there's something inherently bad or wrong about the type of sex people are having. And if you think about blood donation, and it's this altruistic thing that all of us can do, everybody can do, and it makes you feel so good. Think about like a crisis situation. We have a major disaster and all these calls for people to come in and donate blood. Imagine being told you can't do that because of who you are. Like that's just awful. And it's, it's just kind of one of those last barriers to just, you know, equality across the board that has remained in place. Aaron, in recent years, are we seeing diseases, including HIV and, and others, actually transmitted through blood donations? Do they keep track of that? They do keep track. And with regards to HIV, the answer is no. The last case of HIV transmission via transfusion was in 2008. Um, and that was a remarkable case, remarkable enough that there were reports written up about it. I think before then it had been, I want to say since the 1990s that we'd had a single case. They're so rare that we just don't have them. Aaron, even with these new restrictions, you write that the guidance is still drawing serious concerns, including from our next guest on the show, State Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco. Tell us about this concern. So the main concern is that the policy update leaves in place essentially a ban on people who are using PrEP. And PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's a pill that you can take every day or you can get an an injection every other month. And it's essentially 99% effective at preventing HIV. So if you're on PrEP, you're basically not going to become infected with HIV no matter what you're doing. It's been remarkable. And in San Francisco, they've really pushed hard on it. And we have, I think, more than two-thirds of all men who have sex with men in San Francisco are on PrEP. But this policy update will still prevent anybody on PrEP from donating blood. So, you know, in a lot of ways, when you have so many people who identify as gay and bisexual who are on PrEP, they're still going to be effectively prevented from donating blood, even when this policy is put into effect. And why would being on PrEP be something that the government would be interested in? So this is an interesting kind of scientific 
dilemma where it's all theoretical. PrEP is still relatively new. It's been around for, I guess it's not that new, maybe close to a decade now, but we haven't studied super well what exactly kind of is going on in the blood of people who are on PrEP. And so the concern is that in theory, you could be on PrEP, you could actually become infected with HIV at very low levels. Your body could probably fight it off. Like you're on this drug that's going to prevent HIV from replicating and from actually infecting you and making you sick. But you could have enough of a trace amount so low that it's not detected even on the really sensitive blood donation screening. So all blood is screened for various viruses, including HIV. But you could have such low amounts that it it's not detected in that screening. But the problem is when you transfuse blood into, into patients who need it, even with very trace amounts of HIV in it, the theory is you could conceivably see some, a recipient be infected by that blood. Now, this is, again, this is all theoretical. There's not really anything proving that at all. We don't have examples of cases of that. So I think the thinking is that the FDA, and a lot of scientists agree with them on this, they believe that this is taking kind of that ultimate precaution until we know for sure just how small that risk is. Let's just kind of take that off the table. Let's not deal with it now. And the other thinking is that you know, we don't know how reliably everybody's taking PrEP. Somebody who says they're on PrEP, if you miss a pill every now and then, you could be at a little bit greater risk of HIV than if you're taking it every single day. And so they're asking these questions of, can we determine how low that risk is? And also, can we ask people questions about their PrEP use that will help us sort out who's really kind of taking it like they should and who's maybe skipping here and there? Aaron, what is the process for these rules going into place? And can people Weigh in. Can they give feedback if they have a feeling one way or another? Yes, absolutely. The FDA is in the process now. They announced this plan at the end of January. We're now in this comment period, so people can go to the FDA website and they can leave a, a public comment, um, and that's going to be open for a couple months. And then the FDA will kind of revisit it. They'll take into account those comments. They'll take into account feedback from their own scientific experts. They'll also have more data results that they'll be able to look at to finalize it. And then the expectation is that these plans will probably be put in place as they are within a, a few months. Aaron, thank you so much. Thanks, Damien. Aaron Alday is the Chronicle's gender and sexuality reporter. Find her coverage of the FDA's proposed change to blood donation rules and more at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. After the break, I'll be joined by California State Senator Scott Weiner. We'll talk about the lasting impact of the HIV epidemic on public health policy and what he calls a decades-long stigma aimed at gay and bisexual men. Also, if you bought a ticket to our event at Manny's tonight, thank you. The event is sold out. But if you didn't manage to get one, don't worry We'll be sharing the conversations from our live taping on the podcast very soon. We'll be right back. Did you know the number one way people discover new podcasts is word of mouth from their friends? So if you enjoy Fifth Emission, we'd love it if you tell someone about our show, even if it's just one person. Thanks for helping us make new friends. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. 
I'm back with Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco. We're talking about efforts to relax the longstanding ban on blood donations from gay and bisexual men. Senator Weiner, we just spoke to Aaron Alday about this new FDA proposal on blood donation. After it was released, you said on Twitter, quote, this latest FDA policy on gay men donating blood continues decades of discrimination not rooted in science. Before we get into the policy, why do you see blood donation as such a pivotal issue? Well, thank you for having me. Um, Blood donation is really important because it's literally a matter of life and death. And as we learned during the early part of the pandemic, when we had a immediate and massive shortage of blood, we, we it was an emergency. And it's really interesting that after you know decades of just truly non-science-based discrimination by the FDA, I mean, just literally like made up uh, rules, a, a lifetime ban for gay men, um, you have to be abstinent from sex for one year, even though you can do a, an HIV test that shows within a 10-day window uh, whether you're negative. Uh, and, and then in the early pandemic, they were desperate for blood. So all of a sudden, the ban for gay men dropped to three months of not having sex. Those are both still stupid rules because it's effectively a ban. And again, there's no science supporting it. But we... We need this blood. And you have a large number of people, gay men, um, who want to donate blood. And especially you have people who may have a rare blood type that's hard to get and they're banned. It just makes no sense. And, and if there were an actual risk, I get it. We want the blood supply to be healthy and, and not infected. Absolutely. None of, none of us wants to, to donate blood that's going to harm someone. There's no one that wants to do that. Um, But straight people are not held to the same standard. It's ridiculous. All right, well, let's get to this new FDA proposal. What do you think about it? I mean, it's less terrible than the previous ones, but it's still bad. What they've done now is they've said, if you have had anal intercourse with more than one person in the last three months, you're banned. So if you're monogamous and only having anal sex with one person in the last three months, you can donate. But if you have anal sex with a second person in that three-month period, you can't donate. Now, if you're straight and having vaginal intercourse, you can have unprotected vaginal intercourse with 100 partners in the last three months, and you are eligible to donate. You can see there that that, that's really an irrational uh, distinction. In addition, the FDA has now a categorical ban if you are taking PrEP so that you don't get HIV. If you're taking PrEP and you want to donate blood, the way you do that is you stop taking PrEP for three months and then you're eligible. That's brilliant. Let's tell people who are taking PrEP that you can stop taking it for three months, put yourself at greater risk of HIV, but that how how is that protecting the blood supply or public health? So it's like the 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 FDA like can't get out of its own way and, and keeps putting these arbitrary rules in place that aren't actually protecting the blood supply, but are excluding a large number of people who want to donate blood. So let's break those down. I mean, you mentioned a couple of things that the FDA is citing as risk factors, right? anal sex, and then the testing procedure 
if you're on prep? I mean, is there anything that you see there that, that justifies those moves? I can understand if you have someone who's sketchy and taking their prep, they're only taking it once or twice a week. Someone could answer that incorrectly, but there are many questions when you donate blood that someone could answer indirectly, either they're mistaken or lie. There's nothing different here. So I, I think you can ask the question in a way so that people on prep who are at, at almost no risk if they're consistently taking it could still donate blood and add uh, to the blood supply. And in terms of anal intercourse, yes, anal intercourse is the highest risk form of intercourse in terms of transmitting uh, HIV. But we know that vaginal intercourse is also a risk factor. It's not as high, but it's there. And that's why this whole idea that you can have unprotected vaginal intercourse with 100 different people in the last three months, and you're not excluded, but God forbid you do too. Even with a condom plus prep, you're excluded. So I, I know that they have to make general rules and it can't be perfectly precise. I get that, but they just keep getting it wrong. Gay sex is still enormously uh, stigmatized after all these years. It is, um, there's a lot of homophobia, but also there are people who might be at least somewhat supportive of LGBTQ people and support marriage equality, and, but they're still, you know, gay sex is, is like icky for them. And so there's this notion that gay sex, you know, equals transmitting infections and is dangerous and, and so on and so forth. Senator, I want to ask you sort of a broader question, if you don't mind, about your role in these issues. I'm curious about your reaction to becoming a frequent target of the right, you know, including on Fox News, uh, as you, I know you've seen amid this broader effort to use LGBTQ issues as a rallying force on the right. And I'm also wondering, I think in that same vein, what's an effective way to communicate for you in issues that are sort of steeped in fear? Yeah, I mean, the right-wing media loves to go after me. I'm easy target, Jewish gay guy from San Francisco. I mean, that you don't get much more uh, classic right-wing red meat than that. Um, in addition, I, I'm very open about being a single gay man in San Francisco. They love reposting the shirtless photos of me from Folsom because I, I go to Folsom Street Fair every year and I love it. It's fun and I, and I, and I do it authentically. Um, and so they, they really have targeted me in a huge way. And, and what they target me on overwhelmingly is my legislative work to uh, support the LGBTQ community and to ask for equality. So they, they target me because I authored the law to start treating HIV the same as tuberculosis and Ebola when it comes to criminal sanctions if you don't tell a partner that you are infected. We were treating HIV much more harshly than these other much deadlier infections. And all we did was align HIV to be the same criminal penalty as these other serious infections. They go after me because LGBTQ young people were being treated much more harshly in terms of who goes on the sex offender registry than straight kids. I passed a law to say we're going to treat gay kids exactly the same way that straight kids have always been treated for the last 75 years um, by giving judges discretion uh, when a 19-year-old has sex with a 16-year-old. Look at the facts of the case to decide whether the, the kid goes on the sex offender registry. They go after me hardcore on that. Gone after me for supporting trans kids and making California a state of refuge for the families of trans kids in places like Texas, where the parents are being threatened with state prison, I authored a law to say you can come to California and we're going to do everything in our power not to send you back to Texas to go to prison. 
So there's been a, a series of laws uh, like that, and they, they hate me because huge homophobia and transphobia. My uh, social media comments have become like a toxic waste on Twitter or Instagram, and, and they're probably sitting in their basement, you know, and, and they have nothing better going on in their life than to wait for me to tweet or post on Instagram so that they can call me a groomer. Senator Weeder, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thanks to my guests today, Chronicle reporter Aaron Alday and California State Senator Scott Weiner. Thanks also to Francesca Fenzi for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. <laughs>